Hey there, welcome to SaaS Unbound, brought to you by SaaS Group. I'm your host, I'm Nadena, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business success. And today with me is Rob Ruppels, co-founder and CEO of Superglue, a partner ecosystem engagement platform for SaaS companies. And before that, Rob has founded a SaaS company that generated over 50% of its eight-figure revenue by partnerships. So he knows a thing or two about this, you know, and I'm coming from being a growth and partnerships executive. So I really would love to dig into it and like see how you're leveraging this. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's great. It's great uh, that you made the time. So uh, first of all, I mean, love the name, super glue, super cool. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, in my last company, we had the challenge that we we picked the name and we um, like this isn't the the name wasn't perfect in the sense that people would remember it, etc. And we always said, oh, we can always change it. And now the the company is like well known, and you know, like it's so hard to change a name. So we're super yeah. glue. I said we need something that's that's going to stick. <laughs> yes. Oh, it sticks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yes. What's super glue and uh, how did you come up with it? Yeah. So uh, yeah, like you said, like I built a company before in the Matic space, and we kind of, you know, we never really thought about partnerships when we started it. But um, you know, like, I think like two years, three years in. Um, we had customers approach us and they asked us about integrations and we, to be quite frank, didn't have any clue about you know, the value of integrations, uh, but customers were very keen. So we built integrations. The integrations led to more value for our customers that led to bad, like, you know, better relationships and, and closer relationships with the people that we integrated into marketing automation platforms. And, uh, you know, and that led to what you said, right? us driving the majority of our business via partnerships and, and not just that right the best deals all come from partners etc etc um, yeah so I realized there's a big opportunity there um, and as I transitioned out of my role at, uh, at Optilize my previous company um, I was um, you know I was, I was thinking about different opportunities and yeah, I really like the partnership space and felt like there was a need for tech because, uh, you know, you look at sales, everybody has sales engagement tools, marketing, everybody's marketing automation tools. You look at market, uh, partnerships and <laughs> it, it feels like, you know, sales 10 years ago. Everything is manual and that just creates a lot of challenges. And so, yeah, so we started Superglue, which is, like you said, it's, it's a partner engagement platform. It's basically like some people have called it an AI assistant. So a tool that you connect to your data sources that basically tells partner managers who to interact in their partner ecosystem, when and how, in order to drive more revenue. Okay, so that sounds super cool. Sounds like I needed you guys about a year ago. <laughs> uh, but... Yeah, I needed us too. <laughs> yeah. It was all manual and like I started digging yeah. a bit deeper into super glue and it was like, I was doing it all manually, you know, it was like just digging through LinkedIn and all the profiles and like what people were doing and like trying to, you know, uh, go by the rules where like find a point where you bring value and, you know, talk about that point. And it was just a lot of manual work. So 
thank you for doing what you're doing. Uh, let's <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about uh, how you're doing it because um, again, coming from it all like manual work, a lot of digging around. Um, how do you make sure that you know basically your product knows what kind of leads, what kind of partnerships I need? Yeah. So we, I have to say, like we, people use us not to recruit partners because for partner recruiting, it's, you know, you can use sales tools. We, people sure. use us from the, the point of uh, the first interaction through the entire partner life cycle. The, the big challenge is if you look at partnerships today, you know, people sign these partnership agreements and two partnership managers like each other and then they're kind of like, oh, we're done. <laughs> you know, uh, everything is good. The reality is that a good partnership is like the, it's not the result of a, a signed agreement. It's a, the result of really good relationships um, between the people who work in the organizations, right? The people who bring you into deals are the salespeople in your partner's organization, right? Or the customer success people. So you really need to like, you know, get to them. And very often the way it works today is you have a lunch and learn with, you know, where you pitch, you know, your product to your partner's sales team, for example, and then you send them a long email and you forget about them. And in reality, what you need to do is you need to build that relationship kind of like in a, you know, it's CRM, like a loyalty program, for example, you need to stay in touch yeah. with them. You need to make sure they, they feel valued, they're excited, they, they trust you, they know what you do uh, and who you, where you add value. And that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's a process of, you know, lots of individual touch points. So the way Superglue works is you connect us to uh, your different data sources, like obviously your CRM where you have a lot of data. The interesting thing is, yes, we connect to the CRM like a lot of other tools, but we use different data in the CRM. So to give you an example, for example, a, a partner sourced a deal for you. They brought you into an account. Uh, you then, you know, have your sales team work on that account trying to close that deal. Uh, what you should do, normally don't, people don't do it, is you should keep the partner up to date on, you know, on where that deal stands. Oh, that deal is now in the verbal commit stage. The deal is now, we closed it. Uh, and that's something that Superglue does, right? It alerts the partner manager. Um, we do all of that in Slack, by the way. Uh, hey, that deal that this partner provided is now at this stage. Should we update uh, the partner and let them know what's happening? Um, the, so this is one topic like linked to Salesforce data. But then there are also other new tools uh, like uh, Crossbeam and Reveal. So those, those are tools that I have seen incredible success in the last couple of years. They're basically account mapping tools. So uh, two companies that partner connect their CRMs through these tools and the tool gives them an overlap or overlaps of uh, opportunities of, you know, the partners that's already mm -hmm. the customers of one company that are um, opportunities for the other. And it helps you identify where you can sell together. Um, so it's a new type of data, overlap data, and we use that data too to trigger certain notifications. And um, you know we build we build features around that stuff. So yeah, lots of lots of different kind of uh, data sources that we use to to implement smart triggers. And then within Superglue, you can customize kind of templates, use templates and blueprints how to interact with the people that you know when there is an alert that goes off. Um, right. You obviously you have an AI, you know, ChatGPT enabled <laughs> functionalities to to have, you know, um, ChatGPT draft, for example, joint value propositions. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's new types of data, different types of interactions, and different types of requirements that all come into kind of fruit that we merged in, in Superglue. <laughs> right. Okay. Wow. That's super cool. It, uh, yeah, it sounds like a really, really neat idea. Oh no. Uh, Miss chance, uh, but <laughs> uh, but it's it's great that you you started uh, talking about the way you uh, came up with the with superglue. Um, you mentioned you needed integrations, but then uh, all the deals and all the relationship came from partnerships, and those are very different because again, as a partnership manager. I worked with both. It, it was a technical uh, startup, so we did have integrations, and they, they, I mean, they did require some kind of relationship. But we basically uh, knew that we're a small bootstrap SaaS, and you're a small bootstrap SaaS. So if we mention you and you mention us, at some point maybe it will work. But partnerships were a bit of a mm -hmm. different journey, right? So. Uh, how did it work for you? How did you make uh, the decision to go into partnerships, not not do anything for like integrations, not become Zapier, but uh, yeah, yeah. help <laughs> partnership managers? Yeah, I think you know, I think there are lots of really cool tools. Actually, there are lots of really cool tools being started right now in the that make integrations easier and, mm -hmm. and help with that challenge. Because yeah, traditionally. You build integrations, a lot of work. Um, I think, and that's a technical challenge that has to be solved. And people are, you know, lots of lots of interesting companies are addressing that. Um, yeah. I found the relationship side of things really interesting because I, you know, I have a marketing automation background. I've, you know, I've, I understand sales pretty well, and I've run sales teams, and I've always seen how those departments use automation uh, now AI. And I just felt like that is a really big opportunity, and it's a big opportunity because it's very, it's it's a big revenue opportunity, right? It's like immediate if you do partnerships right, it's it's an incredibly powerful revenue driver, and I really wanted to really help build that you know revenue machine for um, for partner organizations and for SaaS companies. Okay. All right. Makes sense. So, uh, can you maybe talk a little bit about the way um, you turned partnerships into money-making machines for the previous company, <laughs> and uh, now how you leverage it for for Superglue? Yeah, it's you know the the, the interesting thing is because everything is manual, like you said, um, the. The people, right, like the your partners, salespeople, etc. Nobody's really investing that much time in them, or very few people mm -hmm. are. So what you know, what we did at uh, in my previous role, the way we made this successful is we really started to think about very systematically who are these people, like which organization do they work for? Like every partners are different, right? You have different types of partners, and they have different interests. So that's the first dimension. Then you need to think about the people themselves. Uh, a salesperson in your partner's organization, you need to help them sell deals. and Or you have to make them understand that you can help them sell deals. That's when they like you. For customer success people, it's different. You have to prove to them or communicate like how you make their customers happier. That's, you know, that's kind of the, the mindset, how you, you know, what are their interests? It's not just about you, hey, I want leads. And, and then we invested a lot of time kind of trying to figure out, especially in the early days, 
um, figuring out like who do we need relationships with. To give you an example, like we, for example, had a really good relationship and still have with Salesforce. And at Salesforce, you, you have this, you know, the hierarchy. And we, what we realized is if we get the, the regional vice presidents on our side, those are huge kind of influencers because they're close to the business, to the people selling. They have a lot of reach, um, but they, they still have authority. So, so I think you need to be systematic about figuring out who you need on your side and how you convince them. Uh, I, for example, never approached anybody and told them, hey, I need help from you. I always try to add value first. Right? Like, add value is like can come in many ways, but like just just showing them that I, you know, I want to make them successful and then it turns, you know, and all of a sudden yeah. they like you and they bring you into deals and it becomes a very, very interesting, there's a very interesting dynamic going on. Right. So it's, uh, it's basically like I scratch your back and, and you scratch mine. So, uh, so give to get kind of strategy, which is, uh, I understand yeah. is, you know, it works absolutely. And it's, mm -hmm. it's been working for, for me too. Uh, other, any other strategies that work as well yeah. in, when, when it comes to building partnerships? Yeah, that's a really good question. So in, a lot of people that talk about best practices and partnerships or like how do you like how do you activate a partner they, are, they always say like oh i have to give my partner a lead first and if i give them a lead they will give me a lead back if yeah. you can do that awesome <laughs> right it's, it's really easy because you're hey i give yeah give you something you give me something back uh, but very often that's just not possible very often you just don't like in our case for example we partner with everybody so if i give one partner a lead i'm taking that lead from another partner that's already working with that company probably. So we could never do that. And, um, you know, other strategies are, you know, you don't always have to do, you know, provide leads. You, if the partner understands that if they bring you into a deal, the likelihood of them closing that deal is higher. Uh, you know, that's extremely valuable. And that's an important story because you, um, you know, for example, um, you can help fill, fill a feature gap, right? Like that's also something that's, that's really powerful. And every company has feature gaps. Um, you know, like there is no, say, why does Salesforce have the biggest partner ecosystem in the world? Because they have like millions of feature gaps that are addressed by partners. Um, and if you make an IAE understand that selling to somebody that needs that specific feature, uh, you're, you're really in a good position. Um, I've seen companies, and we did this, um, that really delight uh, their their partners, you know, customers. We had with a couple of customers that, you know, that approached to very senior people in, in our partners' organization said, hey, um, we're incredibly happy right now. We've done so much cool stuff. And then when they asked questions about it, it turned out that uh, part of that, you know, success, etc., was driven by our our integration into you know their solution so that's that's just incredibly important too like happiness because that reduces churn um and then that's just also the last one is maybe not as sustainable but influence i mean if you are a company that is incredibly hyped if you open ai right now everybody wants to partner with you and be associated with you sure. and there is yeah. appeal in that too it's, it's i don't know how sustainable that is but it's a door opener too Right, absolutely. So uh, basically, it's still adding value in one, one way or another, whether you're adding with your um, yeah. yeah hyper growth, hyper virality, or whether you're adding with your with your personal brand or whatever, maybe your connections, you are adding something. 
and that's how partnerships yeah. grow. Okay, so it's it's great. And by that the you, way, uh, that's that's so yeah. important. Oh, sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say it's <laughs> value. Value is so important because very often, you know, people are like, "Oh, who do you sell to?" Oh, I sell to I don't know um, re big retailers in you know in France. Oh, we also sell to big retailers. Who do you sell to in these organizations? Oh, I sell to the marketing partner. Yeah, me too. And then they're like, "Oh, we could partner." And very often, that's not enough. Just because you have the same target and the same. Uh, contact person or department you're selling to is that's not enough to sell i think value is really the point like do two companies provide value do they have a story together and if you don't then maybe you shouldn't partner <laughs> um yeah because it's just it's a waste of time true oh it's it's even something that and, and we're not even partnering on this, this podcast but whenever i ask uh, a founder to come to, to the podcast to make sure that I understand where they're coming from. And when I tell them about the previous guests, I make sure that I showcase somebody that's relevant to them. So, you know, mm -hmm. uh, saying yeah. that maybe, I don't know, uh, to, to very technical founder saying that Brent Fishkin was on the podcast maybe wouldn't make so much sense, but DHH, oh yeah, sure. I want to be associated with the podcast that, uh, had DHH here. So yeah, completely understand. It's great that you also mentioned like the seniority or like the personal brand uh, that comes to this equation. Because um, when I was researching about you and what you're doing, um, I've listened to another podcast uh, about um, partnership management. And um, I can't remember who said that. But um, she was talking about the fact that partnership manager can no longer be a junior position because what you have to bring to the position is value of your personal brand and your personal connections. So, and you've been in the space for so long. Um, does it also help uh, grow Superglue and the whole hype around it? Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I hope, <laughs> otherwise I'd be wasting my time. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, uh, yeah, I, you know, um, I, yeah, I think personal brand is like, there is a lot of value in that and having reach, having recognition, being known for certain topics. So I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a door opener. Obviously it's, you know, it only gets you this far, right? And then you need to deliver more right. but uh, yeah it's 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 definitely very helpful and uh has yeah has been very beneficial for us as a company i would say or hope okay <laughs> i would no i'm, I'm yeah. pretty confident actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah so grow your personal brand then apply for partnership manager positions <laughs> yeah. yeah that's true I, I was i was just gonna say i i would say it's um i know not everybody likes to be you know out there and like you know I don't know, posting stuff on LinkedIn every other day. So I think it's, yeah, it's, it is a door opener. It's, it can be powerful. Um, it's not a prerequisite. I know, I know a bunch of incredible partner managers that are just not, you know, just don't have a personal brand. Uh, but yeah, but if you, if you're interested in taking that step, if you have that kind of, um, you know, the, the, the personality to some extent to, to do that, because I think you don't, that, that is part of the game. Um, it can be very powerful, and 
probably whatever you do if you say this same thing. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate or customer referral program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Rewardful automatically tracks referrals, calculates commissions, handles upgrades and downgrades all seamlessly in the background, whether you sell one-off purchases or recurring subscriptions. Companies like Podia, Copy.ai, Parametrics, Synthesia, and many, many more are already using Rewardful to add that sweet, sweet MRR to their businesses. Sign up now at Rewardful.com for a free 14-day trial and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's very uh, it's very similar in a way to, to sales. So if you're not uh, like an outgoing person that's ready to, to listen and to see how you can benefit uh, other people and other businesses, then probably, yeah, that's going to be a challenge. Uh, but okay, let's talk more about your personal brand because you know you're you're a bit of a superstar on LinkedIn. So <laughs> uh, I was really um, surprised when you just said, "Okay, sure, let's do a podcast." I was like, "Yes, sure, <laughs> let's do it." <laughs> hey, this um, is all part of building a brand, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, so um, let's talk about Superglue and um, how you um, you guys are well-known uh, already, but even though you're a very, very young company, uh, partially, I guess, because of you and what you're doing. Um, and you, um, you're you advocating for growth through partnerships, right? And uh, it's totally valid because, you know, I'm also coming from a space where it was a great strategy for us. It gave us such a boost. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you decided not to use your personal brand and your relationships, your connections, uh, and the partnerships that you've already built in order to grow Superglue. You went to uh, you went the VC route. Um, mm -hmm. Why did this happen? Right? Why did you, didn't you uh, want to say bootstrapped? And again, did your personal brand help you raise a round? Yeah, uh, yes, I would say that it definitely had, well, actually the first investor who, uh, you know, said yes and wanted to invest was uh, FJ Labs and they invested in my previous company. So I would argue I already had a partnership okay. with them <laughs> and, uh, you know, that created a lot of, that created a lot of traction because, uh, you know, just you get the right investor yeah. to, to, to go, come on board first, etc. Um, and um you know, we um, we just felt like for our for our what we want to build, and uh, it's always a question. Like I love bootstrapping, and I admire every company that achieves it. But I think it's it, it's this balance between how much money do I need to get to the point of profitability um, versus you know how much control do I want to give somebody else, or do I want somebody else on board? In our case, um, I think we a we knew that. We, you know, it's, it's a, there's an, it's an investment case in terms of the platform, the tool that we wanted to build. And the second thing, I think we were very, what we did is, 
we were very selective about our investors. So the um, actually the, the fund that led the round, the partner at that fund is um, is the guy who built the Airtable ecosystem. So we didn't just get an investor on board who gave us money. We also got like an incredible expert on board that uh, you know that that really I sometimes call him our third co-founder because <laughs> he's David <laughs> Peterson. He's just like an incredible investor and an incredible person to have on our side. Um, so it never felt like I know it's always this oh bad VCs you know versus I, you know I have full control. I think it depends who you work with, and in our case, it just all made sense. I think. Um, you need to look at it like you know from all kinds of angles, and there is no perfect solution, right? Like you, there's always an up and a downside. But we are very, yeah, we are very selective. We didn't just go out and raise money. We actually got uh, really strong supporters on board who also had a network. Also, you know, quite a few of our initial customers came through the investors. So these are all benefits that I think we had. Um, but those all aren't always there in every you know VC fundraise. I've seen a lot of companies raise money from people that created pressure, didn't understand their business model, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so I think it's just it's just about being selective and being kind of strategic about what you do, uh, you know, whatever you choose to do. Right. Uh, I've talked with with another founder, and uh, he said the. Um decision point between bootstrapping and going with the VC is uh, competition and ambition. So if your competition mm -hmm. are, you know, this big, huge companies that, that have all the money in the world, uh, then probably look for VCs to back you. And if you have the ambition to like uh, grow rapidly and like win the market and you have a complex product, then again, go with VCs. Yeah, yeah. No, I was gonna say. Yeah, I think that those are great points. Uh, that's very true. It's it's obviously not always the case, right? You always see these exceptional companies just come out of nowhere, bootstrapped, and just dominate even in markets where there aren't uh, where there are already big players. But I'm with you. It's you know, if you there are certain settings where you just you just need money and where you can't just build a product, generate money to to self-fund um, from day one. And um, yeah, that's that's okay. Yeah. And I feel like uh, now uh, it's it's a very strange situation where we, we got used to the fact that uh, if you're successful, you kind of have to be VC-backed, right? Otherwise you're, you're not in Forbes and you're not on the list and the yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, but now it's the other way around and the VC funded startups are often stigmatized because yeah. like, oh, but you had all this <laughs> yeah. money, you know, and I, you know, I raised my startup out of my garage. And I feel like both routes are very valid, but, you know, they, they had a different journey. And yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about, again, um, partnerships, obviously. That's why we're here. Uh, and, you know, there are partnerships and there are good partnerships. <clears throat> Sorry. So what makes one the other? Are there any hacks? Are there like maybe two or three points that uh, founders have to look out for when they're asking for partnerships or uh, when they're even reaching out for an integration that later can become a great partnership that would bring the value, bring the customers, bring the revenue? Yeah. Yeah, good, really good question. Um, I think there are 
like foundational mistakes and then there are mistakes in kind of how you run partnerships. The I made and I made ha, almost all of them myself. Uh, I think Let's one more kind it. of basic mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, how much time do you, we could do this like Joe Rogan three hours, you know? Yes. <laughs> no, I think um the the uh, you know the the more you know ba foundational mistakes that I think everybody makes is they don't figure out the ideal partner profile. When you run a sales process, like and you have a sales team, you like you are hyper focused on your ideal customer profile. And if a salesperson shows up with an opportunity that isn't in that ideal customer profile, a good VP of sales will probably tell them, hey, however good this looks, we're not doing it. And there are good reasons for it. And in partnerships, I think that mindset isn't established yet. People are like, hey, this person is interested. This person just reached out. This could be nice. This could work out. And people end up, and I did this, like I just partnered with everybody um, in the early days. And it just ended up being a total waste of time, a lot of it. Um, so I think, you know, understanding your ideal partner profile is essential. When you partner with people, I think one thing that people kind of misunderestimate is like the importance of organizational buy-in, both uh, in your partner's organizations as well as in yours. Because ultimately, it's not the two partner managers that you know then generate the revenue. It's like the partner has salespeople that need to be willing to bring you into deals, and you need to have salespeople that are willing to bring partners into deals, uh, and customer success people, etc. And if you don't have that, this isn't going to work. It's just a waste of time. No partner manager can solve that problem. So it's really, partnerships is not an isolated department. It's a an organizational mindset, I would argue. Um, that's kind of the, the big, I think, foundational issues that I see in, in organizations. When it comes to actually running the partnership, um, what I see is, you know, one mistake is what we talked about earlier, kind of why we found it super glue is, people don't build relationships. They sign agreements, they have all of this formal stuff, um, but they don't build relationships. It's, you need these people on your, in your partner's organizations to, you know, like I said, like know you, trust you, feel valued, uh, be excited. Um, that's when the magic happens. So that's, that's, really, that's really something where, yeah, you need to invest time. And um, then what I see is like, again, coming back to the initial point about the partner profile process, like this is, this is not a thing where, and I did this, like you're just all over the place and you coordinate and you hope that things happen and they will. It's, uh, you need to get to the point where you have a process where like, this is how we partner. This is who we partner with. Th these are the steps. This is how we get these people excited. How these are the touch points. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's also something that's building a process. Obviously, think about tech as well. Um, you know, um, not just super glue, but overall thinking about how you can you know make people more productive. And um, and then the other thing is, and you, I think you mentioned this too, right? You said um, uh, in partnerships you need to. I think you said like you need to have seniority. Um, yeah. You do need some experience, right? Like this is. It's, if you hire the first salesperson, you sh you're probably not going to hire somebody who has never done sales before. Um, or you might if you have a good VP already or somebody who trains them. But if, if you, like as a head of sales, let's say, you're not going to take somebody who's like, oh, that person is smart. They can probably figure it out. You're going to pick somebody who's done it before. Uh, and in partnerships, the funny thing is I see this all the time. 
I think a bit more in Europe than in the US. Um, but it, the people are like, oh, partnerships. Like I see interns running the partnership department. Like literally like, oh, hey, you're here for three months. How about you build an ecosystem? Um, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work anywhere else. Uh, and it doesn't work in partnerships. I'm not saying there isn't an exception out there, but but you need to understand how these things work. You need to know how things are you know done you need to have a bit of a network ideally you know where you can make these you know get somewhere so i think that really helps um and you know we can't underestimate the the complexity of that role right no completely understand and uh you know i uh i wasn't the best partnership manager i mean because i was so new in the space it was a it was a tech startup i've never done this before and i was just like you said, I was ju just jumping all over, partnering with everybody and hoping that it would work. So, uh, what... Um... I did too, by the way. Uh, so, I think okay. both of us, we both <laughs> I'm <learned>. not alone. <laughs> I think, no, I sucked initially. It's, I think I, I had the advantage that I was a founder and I was just like, hey, this is, I believe in this. I'm going to work on it. Like, this is just like, it was a strategic commitment. But... I could probably have gotten where we got uh, a lot faster. I think there, there are just things that, you know, mistakes that I made that somebody else wouldn't have made. It worked out in the end, but, um, you know, that doesn't mean it could have been uh, less painful at times. Right, right. That's what I wanted to ask you about. Like, uh, how not to be that crazy bunny just like jumping all over the place saying, hey, can you partner with me? Partner with me anybody for like any reason reason you have there how to focus and at what point um you know because it's it, maybe it, if you're a very early stage those partnerships make sense because at least they're giving you like backlinks or whatever right uh yeah. you're mentioned yeah. everywhere it's you know free publicity uh but at what point should it become strategic? At what point should you uh, clearly understand what's your partner and where you shouldn't really go? I would argue, actually argue you should do it very early. Because um, like the thing is like a partnership that fails also has negative implications, right? You ha now have mm -hmm. somebody who said, oh, I, we partnered with this company and it was useless. So there is like, it's this balance. Like you said, there's upsides too. People know you, you know, it's, yeah. but it's also, it didn't work, right? Like, um, so I would actually argue, if I would do this again, I would be a lot more strategic. I would sit down. I would, I would recommend to people, just talk to your customers. Like ask your customers, like, like we kind of, we actually didn't ask them that question. They came to us and told us, these are who we work with and I want you to integrate, but ask your customers, like, who do you work with? Which agencies, which, which, you know, tech platforms, etc. How do you work with them? Uh, what's missing? And your customers are probably going to tell you exactly what they want. And if your customers want something, then your prospects will want that too. And it also means that, you know, there, there's a story. So, um, I would take that step. I would, you know, go through customers. I would then really limit it to two or three partners that um, that truly kind of, you know, where you have a strong feeling, right? You can analyze it this only so much, but you're probably going to know it. Like if you sit down and truly think about this, like who 
are the people we really need to get close to. And we did that at some point in time uh, in my previous role. Initially, everything, and then we really understood like we need to get close to, and then invest in those two or three partnerships. And the cool thing that then happens is if you do it right and if you make them happy, these people, A, they talk to other companies, and the salespeople, you know how it is in SaaS, you know, everybody works yeah. everywhere. Everyone uh, what knows everyone. Is, yeah. And we, we had like um, a lot of salespeople that knew us and had co sold with us, went into other companies, reached out, brought us in. And all of a sudden we had all of these relationships all over, all over the board. But it happened because we nailed the a very few relationships at some point in time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. All right. And um, another point about partnerships is that it's kind of difficult to track um, their value and their ROI, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so, what uh, what could partnerships bring? What are the success metrics for the partnerships, except for uh, money? Yeah. I love that question. Uh, the reason why I love it is because when you talk to a lot of people, even in partnerships, about why partnerships are important, they're going to tell you, well, partnerships, and it's true, helps everybody. Uh, it can help, you know, with marketing, sales, customer success, product. Um, you know, they're basically like, hey, we're this magical department that makes everybody better. Um, which is true to some extent. A good ecosystem can really enhance your entire organization. But the problem with that is if you don't measure success, if you don't have clear goals, then you will end up just messing around. So it's, I think, like goal setting is important and and figuring out, like, also focus again, right? Like, what do we want to do as a partnership team? And if you you could, for example, be like, hey, we want to co-market. Co-marketing is huge. Like, you can, you know, having simple things like webinars together, but like lots of other stuff. And then, yeah, what do you measure? You, I think very often you should measure revenue, like impacted revenue by that. It's, it's not that difficult or generated leads. Um, but he also more, more subtle things. What we, for example, saw is we did co-marketing with very big organizations and we saw that that gave us a lot of reach and credibility uh, also for other partnerships. Because, you know, if you do a webinar with Salesforce and Salesforce says, this is awesome, um, then that's going to open the door for a lot of other things. And it's hard to measure that. Um, so it's like co-marketing. It could be co-selling, right? Like your sales teams sharing leads, etc. Yeah. So you should be tracking leads, opportunities. It's not that easy because like, like you can easily track sourced revenue, right? A partner brought you like a deal and told you like introduced you. And then you have the, you know, the lead source partner. Uh, but imagine you already have a deal, you're working on that, and the partner comes in and makes a recommendation. It's like, hey, by the way, we love these these guys. They're just an awesome tool. They're going to make you very happy. You should buy them. That happens a lot to us. Um, but how do you measure that? Like, you, where do you track that? Um, you need, you might need a field and you know, on the opportunity level that says influence, or I've seen people use tools like Gong to actually listen to calls and listen who was mentioned, but it's, it's hard. Um, and yeah, customer success, reduced churn, right? Like you can, you could have a story where customer success is impacted. And I, for example, saw that our customers where we work with partners, we had a lot less churn. 
Uh, but again, you got to measure it. You got to have it as a goal. You can't just be as a partnership department. Hey, we we help everybody. We are, um, you know, just you should just understand that we're very important because then um, you're probably going to get to the point where people are like, yeah, you help everybody, but you kind of don't because you don't have a clear goal and you don't show us how you improve. And and that's why a lot of partnership teams got laid off in the, you know, in the last half year or so, uh, just because they couldn't really, um, unfortunately, prove the value that they were bringing. Right. Yeah, because uh, partnership is, is built in a relationship and you kind of, uh you have to you have to clear to have a clear goal of like where you're going and what you're going to to have together in the future it's not like you're establishing yeah. a partnership and then you know waiting for something to happen um so okay thank you for sharing that um just a few more questions uh and the first one is obviously can you share a hack that helps you uh with partnerships something that always works and you love it yeah. So I think very often what people get wrong is they um, they try to they go into a discussion about a partnership and they just they talk about what could be done. I what I love to do and what I've always done is I try to rather I looked at like who I want to partner with. I found like a shared customer, for example, and I made them happy. And then I got the customer to approach the partner and tell them, hey, this company is awesome. You should partner with them. And, you know that kind of stuff. Or I had a case study that we prepared with the customer, uh, also talking about the, part, the potential partner in good ways. And then just being like, hey, by the way, we already have like these customers, they love what we do together and there was no work for you involved. And it's just like, that's just a kind of a, um, a process kind of shift, right? Because you, you don't do all the, the work and then you see if you can generate value you come in and you're already bringing value you're, you're already bringing proof of value so i always love that because it's it's not what a lot of companies do and it's very refreshing i think to partnership teams huh? okay so showing the value through through your work through what you're doing for yeah. uh for others okay cool all right but before um, you even talk to the partner <laughs> Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll write that down. Uh, but <laughs> uh, one more question. What was the biggest aha moment for what you're doing with Superglue? What was the something that maybe made you pivot or, or made you, uh, ah, yeah. I don't know, change your marketing um, or, or something that was so influential to you? Yeah, good. it's an interesting one. Uh, so one of the things that we did that really changed, I think, the trajectory was we... So initially, when we built Superglue, was like a platform where you need to log in, right? So it's like a tool where partnership need, people need to log in, and that's where they get all the information. Then we realized that like it's so hard to tell people to log into yet another tool every day and do work in there. So... What we did is we, we realized that everybody uses Slack and we, we started enabling them to use Superglue out of Slack. So we pushed notifications in there. We even let them you know take actions in Slack. And that was a game changer. It was just because it totally, it, it eliminated this, the, the friction of you know, people having to do something. We basically, we decided let's bring Superglue to where they already are and that was I think, um, in retrospect, it was a pretty smart decision. 
That's super cool. I saw a demo and I really loved it. It was like, wow, that is so straightforward. You're just like sitting in your Slack and you're getting all this notification that you can customize it or like approve or decline it. It's, uh, yeah, super cool. Um, we didn't okay. start out like that. We There was obviously a, a journey of uh, getting there. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's that, that classic process of finding, finding product market fit, finding value, right. uh, overcoming all of these all of the friction that you have in the, in the adoption process of a new tool. Okay. Well, we'll talk about value in the, in the second. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a question that everybody gets. What was the biggest win and the biggest failure for, for you in Superglue or maybe for, for Superglue in general? Yeah. Um, yeah. Another, another big, big question because that I could talk to, uh, talk about for, for hours. Um, <laughs> I would actually say, um, Part of it was what we just talked about, like the driving adoption, figuring out, like figuring out how to generate value, you know, because we really, um, people understood what we want to do and people liked it, but then, you know, translating a product vision into a kind of a product is just, this is just, I mean, it's startup life. It wasn't, maybe it wasn't the biggest failure, but it's just, it's always painful. And I've done this before. I always told people, you know, like my previous company, I always tell people, oh, it took us probably two or three years to truly get to product market fit when, you know, where things started to take off. And I always tell people, hey, that was like the the, 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 the shittiest time of my life. Uh, just, you know, just in terms of oh, wow. constantly doing this uphill battle uh, and this frustration and the question like, am I doing the right things? And it, it super glue was a lot shorter i have to admit um there's still elements of it like we're you know we're, we're early stage company but yeah every time you go through this it's just it's, it's just painful <laughs> it's painful to have a vision and not being able to connect it to a product and not being able to connect it to people's understanding of what you do and um yeah so it was it was this process of working through it and yeah this this lack realization, bringing the stuff into stack was just one little puzzle piece. It was a very important one. I, I would say the central one. Um, so it's, yeah, that, that was, I would say just, it, it felt like failure, you know, cause you, you start out, you have the excitement and then um, what you realize, what actually one of our investors told me, he said like, hey, um, you know, like success isn't something you reach with like one important step. You don't like make a certain step and all of a sudden everything is good and there's success. And we always think that, right? Especially early days, yeah. you always like, you have this vision and you feel like you launch and everything's perfect. But it's what he said is like, it takes a thousand steps in the right direction. And I think that's how we see it, where we try to like make a lot of small, small decisions that take us in the right directions and those compounds. If you have, you know, make a couple of right decisions every week, every day. I think you get to that point where all of a sudden there's that, you know, you, yeah. you start to there feel is it a switch. Uh, you don't feel like a failure anymore. <laughs> right. I really loved that um, trend uh, of, of a post on LinkedIn. Like how many years did your overnight success take? It was like, yes, that's yeah. so yeah. on point. Like, definitely. Because yeah. there are so many steps. So what was the win? Um, you know, what made me really happy was like, uh, just a super glue, but also my previous company. Um, I think the biggest validation, you, you talked about this, like validation isn't a fund, you know, isn't a VC give you money. Validation isn't uh, likes. Validation is ultimately 
a company that is really understands what you do, like understands the space you're in and that, you know, wants your solution. Um, we're that both in, you know, I remember in Optilize where we had like some of the best companies that really run incredible marketing. Like we won HelloFresh, they're just really known for their CRM and just when they started to implement us worldwide, that was just mind blowing. The same was like true with like Superglue. We just, there are a couple of companies that we really admire that really like, you know, high performance partner organizations. And, you know, when these organizations um, that are really sophisticated, like what you do and decide to implement you, I think it's a strong kind of validation because, um, you know, you, can, you always find somebody who is kind of desperate and you can kind of convince them to buy your stuff. But if you can convince somebody that is really, really knowledgeable, um, I think that's a strong signal. So, yeah, us reaching kind of that point is just it's really, uh, really exciting, you know. And you get different input. You have to work with these companies. Like, if you want to build a sophisticated tool, or like if you want to be kind of a, on the kind of, a, you know, leading edge, um, you need these kinds of uh, companies that, that give you feedback and input. So, yeah, I, I think that's success. <laughs> True. No, I mean, I'm not, I'm not arguing with that. Uh, it sounds beautiful. Um, so yeah, congratulations on your success then. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a journey. It's like, it's a blend between failure and success always. Uh, yeah, true. Uh, okay. So the last question would be about SaaS industry in general, right? You've already said you're implementing AI. Uh, do you think <clears throat> do you think that AI is going to be something that's going to change the SaaS industry completely, or is there any trend that you're saying that it's going to be the same? It's going to have the same, or maybe even a greater impact. Yeah, I I'm very bullish on like on AI. Like I think it's like AI is like one of the biggest enablers that we've seen for for SaaS to generate a lot more value. Uh, it's obviously also a disruptor. I think a lot of companies are going to feel the pain because, you know, it's just like AI makes it easier to to disrupt a lot of business models or replicate business models that were a lot more complex, right? Like just build clones of companies that, you know, they built a solution with 50 AI engineers like over five years and now somebody comes around the corner and just, you know, builds the same tool on a weekend. Uh, and I've seen this, like I've yeah. seen these cases. So... I think um, you know AI is is really going to change the game. Um, I believe that, and this kept me up for months. Like it was just like I was so afraid that even at Superglue, even as an early stage company, I you know it's like, are we? Would we have built a question we always ask ourselves is like, would we have built a different company knowing that AI is, you know, is where it is today? And I think you have to ask yourself that question. And if the answer is yes, then you need to figure out how you can become that company because otherwise somebody else is going to build that company is going to disrupt you. Um, I think I also see a lot of shitty AI integrations or in AI use cases. I think, you know, a lot of everybody, every, we do it too, to be honest, like everybody's AI everywhere. But um, yeah. just because you have a ChatGPT integration doesn't mean you generate more value. Uh, if you have a ChatGPT integration into your, in your tool that people will help people save three minutes a month, then you're not an AI tool. You're not an AI enabled, and AI is not going to help you win more deals. 
And I see a lot of that lately. Um, so I think that's what you need to think about as a company. Um, to be honest, as Superglue, like we were lucky um, because what we build is AI perfectly complements a lot of the things we do. But I would be lying if I told you, hey, we strategically knew this would happen. Uh, it just, you know, we were fortunate. It just, a lot of things that we build are like well suited. Um, and, you know, AI makes our life a lot easier in terms of the features we're building and that we want to build. But, um, but there's an element of luck. There are some companies that did incredibly well and now somebody comes across the corner and disrupts them. So um, do I think that, yeah, it will change? Yes. Do I think that everything that was built is going to be disrupted and AI is going to kill all these business models and are going to... Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I don't think so. I did for a little while, but I've come to the conclusion that no. For now. Okay. For now, you know. <laughs> right. Until, until the next chat GPT version. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. All right. That mm -hmm. makes sense. I mean, don't we all think that, you know, chat GPT first, it was chat GPT making us all dumb and like education is no longer valid and then you mm -hmm. know chat gpt takes all our jobs it. and then chat gpt yeah. <laughs> yeah chat gpt is changing the whole business so yeah maybe not now Who knows? <laughs> i think i think the important point is i um i did a webinar last week and we talked quite a bit about that stuff and i think the my personal point of view is that I showed this, this 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 visual where I said like how people perceive AI and how people what AI actually does. The perception is AI is going to come in and it's going to eliminate all our jobs, right? Like in partnerships, oh we don't need a partner manager anymore. The AI is going to do it. I think the reality is different. AI, just like automation, is not going to replace the people, but it's going to make them a lot more productive. It's going to change the way they work. And I think as a knowledge worker, whatever you whatever you do, I think you need to build an understanding of what is possible, a capability to use these possibilities uh, so that you don't get to the point where you're stuck like, you know, um, the people, I don't know, 30 years ago when email came up, they were like, oh, I'm, I'm good. I know how to write a letter. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm just going to call. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but that existed. I remember. I, I barely, but because I wasn't, I was really like on the edge when that stuff started to become more important. But there were people who were like, oh, I don't need email. There were people who just refused to use email and they're gone. Um, they're always older, but uh, yeah, it's, I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's always like, I think yeah. with every, with every new technological kind of shift, you need to, you need to adapt, uh, not blindly, but uh, consciously and uh, proactively. Right, right. So it is going to to ultimately change how we're doing things, but yeah. you know, not going to eliminate us altogether in in six yeah. months. Hopefully. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully. Fingers yeah. crossed. <laughs> okay, Rob. I mean, uh, it's been amazing talking with you. Obviously. Uh, know a ton about partnership management and I would love to dig deeper and to maybe do another episode I'm just you know uh, <laughs> uh, doing a hook here you know seeing your reaction 
Yes or no? I love a good, you know, a good salesperson always has to book the next meeting in the call already. Yes. So I like it. <laughs> Are you free in two weeks? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I see your calendar. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing the story. And Super Glue seems super exciting. So I can't wait to try it and uh, leverage it for what I do for, for SaaS Group. And, um, yeah, hope you can help me. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for having me. Same here. Thank you, Rob. Take care. Bye. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS Group, a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.